Too many who know the angles Uncover and untangle All the questions and the webs left out to tangle be in I'm Dapper Dan Gavostin, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the annuals, which definitely count. And I'm mischievous Mark Chinacchio, and I, too, own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including those annuals. But, Dan, the annuals don't count. Like, that annual that came out last week, that doesn't count. Like, what was that thing? I don't really know, and I'm going to ignore it so I can continue making my point. But... <laughs> Uh, moving on, thank you for joining us for the fifth episode of season five of The Amazing Spider Talk, the show where two fans and collectors uncover the strange, fun, and fascinating history of the Spider-Man comic universe. If you want to swing along with us on our journey through Spidey's past, present, and future, subscribe to Amazing Spider Talk on your favorite podcast app. Every other week, we put out a mainline episode of our flagship show, and sprinkled in between, we review new comics as well as interview some of the greatest Spider-Man creators of yesterday and today. This is the perfect time to start listening. In this season of the all-new Amazing Spider-Talk, we're going back to the mid-80s when comics were changing, embracing new visual styles, aging up with their audience, and ditching formulas that had defined serialized superheroes for decades. One of the components that had long dominated Spider-Man comics was a strict adherence to facing Spidey off against rogues invented by Ditko and Lee. However, Roger Stern had other ideas and chose to specifically avoid featuring Spidey's rogues gallery. Instead, his Spider-Man stories pitted Spidey against the villains of his heroic peers. That's right. Today on The Amazing Spider-Talk, we are talking about the bad guys. More specifically, we will be talking about other people's bad guys. Dan, can I do it once and then be done with it? You know what yes, I want to do. It, get right? it out of your system, Mark, and we'll move on. Other people's bad guys. You know, this is the bad guys and these are other people's bad guys. All right, I'm done. I'm sorry. It's terrible. And I'm embarrassing us in front of some people. So why don't you tell us about it, Dan? Yeah, that's right, because we couldn't do this alone. Other people's bad guys demands, well, other people. So we brought on the co-host of Screw It. We're going to talk about comics the podcast, brothers Kevin and Will Hines, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us, Dan. Thanks for having us, Mark. Thank you, Dan and Mark. Yeah, we're here to talk about other people's bad guys in normal <laughs> yeah. voices uh, or otherwise. <laughs> yeah. Let's just keep it to Mark's weird voices for yeah, now. Okay. I All mean, right. I think the show can only handle so much of that. Let me um, know. So so tell us, tell us <laughs> about uh, Screw It. We're going to talk about comics, your podcast. Sure. Uh, it's a thinly veiled excuse for Will and I to talk once a week. Uh, we're brothers who live on opposite sides of the country and uh, we'll go weeks and weeks and weeks without talking sometimes. So we started doing this podcast to talk about the, a thing we really love, which was the comics we grew up reading. We started with Spider-Man. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the character. We did the original Ditko Lee run first and we went like issue by issue, did a few other odds and ends and then sort of 
spun off into other titles. Aren't you doing uh, a Spider-Man related title right now? We are once it, we have now returned to Spider-Man. We're doing Superior Spider-Man, uh, which is how you guys started, right? Yeah, correct. So, but we are now we're covering that. Will had never read it before. It's probably the thing we get emailed the most to cover. Uh, I read it when it came out, um, but this is my first time rereading it. It's a blast. Yeah, I really love it. Kevin and I started reading comics as kids, like together at the same time, basically. And then it, I basically think never stopped. I mean, he's ebbed and flowed in intensity, but basically has read comics every week since the early 80s. I, I had long stretches where I wouldn't. And so our podcast is partly Kevin kind of catching me up on stuff that I missed. Uh, or at least we're, we're moving into that phase and including this, yeah, Superior Spider-Man. I, I had heard people rave about it. I ignored those raves. I refused to read it. And the second I started, I was like, oof, this is good. <laughs> <laughs> What's been the highlight of that journey and the low light of that journey of getting caught up on the past 20, 30 years of comics? Well, I still have a long way to go. I, I should actually say that along the way, Kevin would occasionally recommend something or an arc and i would kind of keep my toe in the pool that way and, and other friends of mine who are comic book fans like they'd be like oh tom king's you know vision is like really interesting you should read that and i would read that not having had read any you know of those like around that time or something like that highlight i think well i'm gonna say i think it's superior spider-man like it's blowing me away like i can't believe how good it is and really everything by dan slot that kevin has made me read including issue 800 and 801 has been has been really incredible low light sometimes i'll pick up you know this is just an old man being stuck in his ways but sometimes the new comics seem to me to be so busy and hyperactive with this is just a matter of taste with with sort of like a some generation derivative of todd mcfarlane limbs going everywhere things spilling out over the panels and i i kind of prefer a more minimalist kind of mazzicelli style maybe darwin cook kind of did something like that so I guess the low light is when I pick up something and I feel old because it's so, because it's so visually busy. On this season, we've been talking about the Roger Stern run of Amazing Spider-Man. I know, Kevin, you're doing like a big reread of these. Do you guys want to talk to us about your history with this particular run of comics? Yeah, I am doing a reread. Well, a, re a read and reread because I'd read some of them and some of them I hadn't read. So I kind of went back to whenever he started in Spectacular and basically I'm reading Spectacular and Amazing from that point on until I get bored with it, I guess is the plan. I, I'm not keeping a good pace. I'll read like three issues one week and then nothing for three weeks as I'm reading stuff for our podcast or just trying to keep up with current stuff. Uh, and I'm digging it. I'm uh, I'm loving it. John, I loved John Romita Jr.'s old art style. I like his current art style too, but uh, I find his old art style, like a perfect modernization of seniors. Like it's, it's, it feels cool and interesting. It's got a little Ditko creepiness to it, but it's kind of clean, like uh, John, John Romita seniors. And so uh, that's probably my favorite part of it. Roger Stern's writing is great, but I get very excited about John Romita Jr.'s uh, original art. Let me, let me, I'll throw this out to all three of you guys. What is it that makes Roger, and you probably already said it, so I'm asking you to be a little redundant. What is it that makes Roger Stern's writing so good? Because he was writing amazing when Kevin and I first started reading, like as kids, like he was the current writer, right, Kevin? Yeah, he was just finished. Like we started right around Secret Wars time, probably. So he was just he, leaving. Yeah, then we would buy some back issues because yeah, we were yeah. getting enthusiastic. So Stern, you know, I associate Stern with our very early days of reading Marvel comics very fondly. Now, when I read issues now and then, I still enjoy it, but it does seem 
it's like watching old movies. Like there is an aspect where it's kind of dated. The pace is a little bit slower. They don't, they don't smooth over the logic bumps as well as I think they do now. But anyway, I don't know. What is it that makes Roger Stern stand out? Why do, why do we rave about him? Help me out. I mean, for me, frankly, I, 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 I go back and I read Stern and I mean, for me, it is going back. I mean, like I my my first experience with new Spider-Man was the the early Michelini run. So, I mean, like, it, you know, it predates me by by a couple of writers. So, you know, when I go back and read Stern to me, it's kind of like the perfect marriage of like the Stan Lee salesmanship and and kind of you know like the the schlockiness of stan with like a, a more for the time modern sensibility in terms of how comics should should read like when you look at stern and his contemporaries like burn and frank miller and 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 those which is who he came up with so it would make sense they kind of like mirror each other in terms of style and tone uh, of storytelling so i feel like stern got the 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 sound of spider-man from lee but he crafted his stories to kind of mesh with his contemporaries at the time and and i mean that happens to be like my favorite time of marvel period i mean i just i i I, whether it's burns fantastic four or miller's daredevil i mean like all those comics coming out in like early to mid 80s it's just it's just like you know to me that's the pinnacle of marvel and i feel like stern gets it with like the spider-man verve that he borrowed i think heavily from stan so that's 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 for me why he works so well uh, on this book I feel like his Peter Parker alongside like JMS's Peter Parker is the most alive as a character um, of, of any of the writers. I, I really get a sense of like the emotional ebb and flow of Peter throughout these stories, e- even as he's dividing his time between his like personal life and his time as Spider-Man. And I feel like, you know, Mark talked about Stan Lee's kind of hokiness. I think that's still there, but it's dialed down a little bit and and it really only pierces through when it's appropriate in the context. So he doesn't feel like a like a Bugs Bunny or something that's just kind of shooting off jokes a a minute. It's like the jokes come at an exact piercing moment. I think someone like Bendis would kind of take that and elevate it even further as a art, a writer that really knows how to work with dialogue. This has that classical sensibility that you're describing, but like Mark said, is just a little, just more modern enough. It, it fits like right in the middle of today's kind of like whip fast comics and yesteryear's kind of nine panel grids. And to mm-hmm. me, it's like the perfect sweet spot. It could be just nostalgia, but it, it, it just hits for me perfectly kevin yeah what what do you think about it i i also think uh uh the dialing back is a good point because i think like especially when you compare it to like denny o'neill that preceded roger stern but even like some of the guys before that the the soap opera elements were so over the top sometimes like everybody and there's still some of this with uh, roger stern and bill mantlow is going on at the same time characters fall in love in one panel and they hate each other in one like emotions just go from zero to a hundred so quickly that it's tough to buy. Like for some reason, I, I didn't bother me during the Stanley Steve Ditko books because it's it's old enough that it, and it Ditko's art is so cool and it's such a new raw character that's still finding its feet that none of that bothers me. But it quickly bothers me even during the Stanley Ramita era. In this era, you don't get that. You get it feels just a little more natural and a little more real, real in the sense of it's still a superhero comic book with all the trappings. But I I buy the 
relationships and his friendships and his his problems all more like I don't know. Sometimes you read these problems he was having the Denny Denny O'Neill run. And it's like this doesn't seem like a real problem. It just seems like you are anguishing because you're supposed to. And here with Roger Stern, it's like when you're when he's having those issues or having anguish or angst, it feels like it's earned. And when he's having fun, it feels earned. And it, I don't know. It just there's a little bit more nuance when Roger Stern does it. Well, that's actually you know it's a great conversation to be having, but it actually is an interesting bridge to today's topic, which is that this run is so dominated by Spider-Man fighting other people's villains that, you know, when we think about like the Stan Lee run, which largely I think inspired, you know, Roger Stern's work, you know, it was really dominated by a dozen or so villains that reoccurred and have been reoccurring ever since. And here, you know, I think every time I go back, you know, Stern's run exists in my mind in such a fond place. And every time I return to it, I'm just kind of overwhelmed by just how little we experience Spider-Man's rogues gallery. So, Mark, tell us a little bit more about this kind of like decision that Stern made in, in regards to doing this and any of your thoughts about it. You can go back and and, and check any Stern interview where this topic comes up. And, and I mean, he's pretty, pretty blunt about it in terms of why he went in this direction. I mean, basically, you know, when he got his shot on the book, he was like, look, we've told stories with Doc Ock. We told stories with Electro and Sandman. I don't want to tell those stories anymore. I I, I want to go another direction. The one exception to that rule was Vulture, because like Stern and we, we talked about this, I think, in our very first uh, episode of the season. Roger Stern loves the Vulture, who's, you know, of course, one of the original rogues. But the Vulture didn't really have much of a backstory when Spider-Man first fought him and, and Stern gave him an origin story, which was kind of a, a, a very new thing at the time. But when it came to other villains, it was like, what, why don't we just put Spider-Man in Spider-Man situations, but use other villains? I mean, you know, like the, there, there are plenty of other villains that are, you know, as powerful or maybe more powerful than Doc Ock like the juggernaut like why don't we put him in a situation where he has to overcome the odds with the juggernaut instead of doc ock instead of having another green goblin osborne family why don't we introduce a new goblin character being the hobgoblin so that was kind of stern's general thesis behind this whole thing was that he wanted to tell unique stories and he felt that for his run he could put spider-man in familiar situations with new characters and have it create like a, new, a whole new kind of storytelling. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about, in, you know, with some of these instances here, I think generally worked. I mean, I think some worked better than others just because some of the villains he did use were kind of like, ah, okay. I mean, but you know, but then there are others where it's like, you know, like take someone like the stilt man in that story, which like, you know, the stilt man is a punchline of a character. And yet like, it, it, it comes down to a real like this is only a situation that happens to Spider-Man kind of scenario. And that's, I think, because of as we were, were talking about earlier, Stern understood the character in a way that that I think a few few other writers who had preceded him, at least immediately preceded him, got him. So Stern was able to, to take these other characters and just bridge into these situations where it felt familiar, but also exciting and new because they were just completely different characters interacting with our hero for the for the first time. 
Will and Kevin, how do you guys feel about like when comics do this? You know, when you read a issue of Daredevil and he's fighting the lizard or something like that. Is that something that excites you if you see that on the comic book shelf? Or are you like, that's probably just a throwaway issue not to be bothered with? Uh, I I kind of dig it, I think, in general. I mean, it, it, like what Mark said, it depends on the villains. If it's a cool villain, it's fun. I mean, there's something weird about the fact that like, when the vulture shows up, it's always Spider-Man that fights him, right? It's like there's a lot of superheroes in New York and it's, they've got dibs on their villains and it's sort of silly about that. But, you know, these characters are also created with them in mind. So like the vulture was created to fight Spider-Man. So like he fits his power set in a way. But I don't know. I think it could be really fun. I mean, the Juggernaut is a classic uh, uh, for many reasons, but one of them, I think, is just because it was such an odd pairing of Juggernaut versus Spider-Man. So that one works. And I remember briefly... When Carl Kessel was and, and Carrie Nord were doing Daredevil and they had Daredevil fight, I think it was maybe it was Mr. Hyde. Uh, and it was during, I think that was also during Heroes Reborn. So like the Avengers weren't around and the Fantastic Four weren't around. So Daredevil was like, I got to fight this guy. Thor's not around to fight this guy. And it's very fun to see like Daredevil fight a guy that's way out of his strength class, just way out of his strength class. And I remember that issue stood out to me in a really fun way. Not that I think of that character as a Daredevil villain now, but. It was a fun issue in that when you bring in lamer villains, it's, I don't know quite what the point is when Stiltman shows up in everybody's comics. I never under, I never, I mean, even in this run, I don't understand Stiltman. I don't understand the affection towards him. It's like, I don't get excited about seeing Stiltman on the cover, I guess, of any comic, including Daredevil where he started. And I'm down, I'm down with it. I like anything that shakes up the formula. Like I think that comics get too set in their ways and I like it when we, you know, whatever, whatever has been done a million times, give me something different, whether it's a different interpretation of that villain, maybe a new backstory that we haven't heard before. Yeah. Pairing up with a different villain or maybe somebody new that we haven't heard of before. Like I, I, I love the original Marvel comics, but I, you know, I do think sometimes they get stuck in the sixties a little bit and it's always refreshing when, you know, what's been a better addition to the Spider-Man universe than Venom, like in recent years, like, you know, he's, as recent. much a part of the classic, what's that? Recent, recent, recent like years, 60s, like yeah. 80s. <laughs> for me, oh yeah, uh, for me, recent is 1980 through 1990. Nothing yeah. happened. <laughs> and I also think this era is interesting because it's pre Secret Wars. It's pre um, like a lot of crossovers. So like, there's still when I read these comics, I'm, I always forget that these superheroes haven't all met each other. I'm Spider-Man more than others because of Team Up, I guess. But like, characters meet villains for the first time ever, and they. I don't know, like now if you read a comic in 2021 and Miss Marvel's meeting a character, she's like, oh, I know about you. You fought the event. Like she knows everything about the characters that she's fighting. And that's part of her character, I guess. But there's something less fun about someone who's like meeting Craven for the first time, perhaps. It's like, oh, you don't know anything about this guy. You don't know what you're in for or what his weaknesses are or what his strengths are. There's something really fun about that. Uh, and you get that a lot in this pre-Secret Wars time. And sometimes you get a, like a new rogue for that character, like Spider-Man, like Stegron or any of these other characters that started off with someone else, but then fit in better or swarm, for example, I would say swarm in the champions <laughs> or, or jack-o'-lantern, I think who came from machine man, but being right. a creation fits, I think right in with Spider-Man. He, fe he feels like he should have started there. Yeah, right. That's funny because like, you know, yeah, they, they end up becoming Spider-Man rogues and people forget that they started somewhere else. So yeah. there's always that opportunity. You guys do a lot of discussion of Machine Man in this podcast. You guys bring up Machine Man a lot. <laughs> My brother likes to bring up Machine Man. 
I mean, hey, Kirby and Ditko are the two artists on that run, Will. It should be all you think about. I love it. <laughs> when are we going to get screw it? We're just going to talk about Machine Man. It's already happening. It's Any a dates. tough read. It's a tough read. <laughs> it's in development. We're already also doing screw it. We're just going to talk about war games, which is unrelated to comics. But we keep bringing up that movie, so. Hey, you know, I'll, I guess maybe more related to the to present day than than you realize drone technology and <laughs> yeah, various right. things. Hey, you'll um, be on our podcast when we launch it. You can great. I'm, I'm very <laughs> Tell excited. Us how War Games is still relevant. Yeah, I, I will bring that very hot take. Let Let's get into talking because I think we're all here for the grand fun show of it all, which is to go through some of these other people's bad guys. We had an episode in the past called the forgettable guys, uh, <laughs> which is just like villains. We never want to return to some of these guys, I think would fall easily into that. Category. Oh yeah. yeah. And I think the first one is a great example of, that. Oh, so, man. See, I'm going to, so... I'm going to push back on this immediately. The fool killer. Uh, okay. That's the thing. Okay, you look on the surface. It's the fool killer, and his whole thing is like, "You're a fool. I'm gonna kill you." Right? That's, that's that is that's, correct, and, yeah. and it's terrible, right? Like that sounds terrible. But this comic specifically, I think this is a well done comic. I maybe like I am like completely deluded by my Roger Stern standum here, but the fact of the matter is, like, I feel like to me, this is like why Stern was so good on Spider-Man because like he took this character. So, you know, the fool killer actually first appeared as primarily a defender's killer, a defender's killer, defender's villain. His first appearance was in Omega, the unknown. So, I mean, you know, where's the Omega, the unknown podcast. We got to get on that. The fool killer in this instance is Greg Salinger. And it's, it's, it's someone that Peter knows it's from his circle. It's at, at Empire State University. And that to me is like what, kind of elevates the story to making sense in the world of Spider-Man. Like, like, like that's like, to me, that's a key element of Spider-Man, Spider-Man rogedom and how he is in part at fault for this character, for this villain's creation and for the, the harm that he does. And I think that that comes across here in this issue because you have, you know, Greg is, you know, he's a student, he's ignored, he's annoyed with the administration and, and at the school because he's not getting, you know, uh, what, what is it basically that he, he, he is student loans. He, yeah. It's too, thank you. It was like, he can't register for class or loans or something like that. And then, he, he he hears Peter. He hears Peter's Peter call these people fools, and that's kind of like the trigger. You know, like it's like the Kill Bill for him, and and he goes on like this killing spree. But it's like to me again, like this. Yeah, it's 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 goofy, and the fool killer is a ridiculous character, and he's got no real backstory here. But in this case, it works because it's that personal connection to Peter. It's that personal connection to Spider Man. Man, you and, are, and, and and he feels the responsibility for it. I know. Go go. You go are, tell me okay. how wrong I am. I'm going to tell you how wrong you are. You are brave. You are brave. This is the toughest side of any debate to take to defend the fool killer. The personal connection is nice. I agree with that. And there is there is a fun to it. He's so outrageous that it is kind of silly and fun, sort of like a Batman TV show kind of villain. But I guess my argument against the fool killer are these things. He wants to kill fools. And by his definition, a fool is anybody who is called a fool by anyone for any reason. <laughs> There's no argument needed or context. As soon as somebody's called a fool, he's ready to murder them. That's my first argument against that. Two, he argue his sort of slightly half-baked defense of his position is that he wants people to be more poetic. 
And the main fault of fools is they don't have poetry. But his name is the least poetic name <laughs> of any villain. There is no poetry in it. You know, I mean, it, it would be like if Vulture was called like Birdwing Arm Man or something like that. <laughs> you know, or Bird Bird Jewelry Robber. That was Vulture's name. You Salinger. So, like, I mean, you know, maybe he has like kids, Root- Franny and Zoe or something. I mean, you, you know, he's who related are also to J.D. Salinger. <laughs> <laughs> and then finally, he says fool in every sentence. He says fool yeah. more than like the Batman's Riddler says riddle. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, it's a lot. If he said fool like 30 less times, maybe I could be won over by Mark's argument. He says fool so, it gets so annoying to read that word so many times. It, it drives me up. Imagine if Punisher, every time he shot someone, it was just like, you've been punished. <laughs> the character would not be popular. <laughs> or if, yeah, or if right before he pulled the trigger, Punisher leaned over to whoever's with him. You don't want to do to this guy? It's like, you're going to punish him? You got it. Time to punish. I I want to be on this guy's side because nobody wants to take up arms against college administrations more than me. (laughs) I really want to. Killer is like the ultimate Bernie bro. Like he wants (laughs) to clear student debt at any cost. Yeah, I'm I'm very supportive of that. But then, like, I look at his costume and I'm just like, this cannot be my champion. It's swashbuckling. What's wrong with a swashbuckler? (laughs) What is the connection here you know like i just like, wildcat meets batman meets errol flynn i guess is the meets here. captain crunch i don't i don't know it's, <laughs> it's 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 a lot so that purple sash on his hat is bold though i'll give that <laughs> that's very but, prince that's but, very of his era but to go back I, I, look <laughs> I, I i'm gonna yield to a degree but like to go back to my original point like yes this is all true what you're saying is all true but given how he's used in the context of a Spider-Man comic. Don't you think he's well used in terms of how the things are tied together? I mean, putting aside all- He ties together because he's both a villain and he is in Peter's graduate program? That's the big move? I'm just saying that it's if you're going to bring in somebody from outside the usual realm of rogues, like you want them to have, you know, like with Spider-Man, like it's always, to me- what makes Spider-Man so unique is like, it seems like all of his villains have some, they're either mirror reflections of him in some way in terms of, you know, whether they, they are literal mirror reflections, like, you know, Venom, the new villain. Or, brand or, new, or someone, brand new, fresh out of the box. Venom. Right. Or, or even like, you know, even if you go to someone like Electro or Sandman, who are characters who are like kind of given powers and then they immediately choose, how do I use these powers irresponsibly versus responsibly? So like, I feel like when you can like tie the villains to Spider-Man in some way, in a meaningful way, like right out of, right out of the bat, that's that's to me, that's good. Spider-Man comic book writing. But, it's, but and, would and Fool it's, Killer be better if he was anyone else? Like if you just like subbed in another gun <laughs> and, and you'd still like, you know, somebody who goes to school with Peter, it'd be a better story. I mean, I think, I think a fair you... barometer is if you subbed in, for, and we could do this for all the villains we're talking about today. If you subbed in Pace Pot Pete, is it better or worse? And if it's, and if it's Pace Pot Pete makes it better, then the villain is bad. So if, if it, Pace Pot Pete is studying in Pete's graduate program, 
But that's the thing. He's not that we, we know I mean, he that could, we could just say that he is right. I mean, be... I mean what, what did he enroll? I mean, like we already know how bad the admissions process is at Empire State University. <laughs> so, you know, obviously, you know, he, he wouldn't be getting through financial aid or anything. Right. So where would Pace Pop be getting uh, going from here? I mean, obviously, was Kurt, Greg Salinger was, is there. <laughs> is Kurt Connors that was the lizard? Did he work at Empire State University? I know he taught at Peter's University in the movies, but was he at Empire State University in the comics? also correct yes he is hey then i gotta say empire state university recruits some top level talent they got <laughs> a guy who turned himself into a lizard they gave a scholarship to a guy who invented web fluid they got an eye for science talent you know so <laughs> if they admitted pace pop pete i think they'd be right <laughs> who i mean like spider-man's got an adhesive and so does pace pot pete yeah, he could be studying, getting his PhD in sticky stuff, and there'd be <laughs> nobody better to study under than Peter Parker. Well, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put Facebook Pete, Pete is like fifty. <laughs> like I'm gonna man. put the final note on the full, full killer, which is Mark. I like the idea of, of <laughs> the, like of, of a college classmate of Peter's being a villain. Not that that's a trope we've never returned to again, because it turns out every one of Peter's friends is a villain or connected to a villain in some way. You know, the, the kind of like this new character, this new friend who triggers his spider sense for some reason, interesting. But the minute I see him don a pirate costume, it loses me. You know, I just think about like Seinfeld. I don't want to be a pirate. Uh, you know, like that, that's not the avenue that this villain should have gone. I think it's one of Stern's only misses. In, in oh, wow. Of, like who the villain actually is. Okay, uh, okay. That's just I, my, I, my feeling on it. I now understand why we have guests because finally, Dan, after eight years of depression, <laughs> we could we could we could all just gang up on, on Mark and his uh, full killer <laughs> uh, defending. No, I I, I I I get it. And 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 like I said at the beginning, it's a totally ridiculous character. I just feel like this could have been a complete train wreck. And to me, this comic is completely readable in a way that maybe some other comics are not readable involving Spider-Man. So that, I think that's... you've been reading too many modern Spider-Man comics. Mark. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I would our... put this up against a lot of a lot of current Spider-Man. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I think that's fair. All right. So let's move on to something, Mark. That I think your defense of it will not get as much uh, pushback. At least I hope not, which is no. the juggernaut from Amazing Spider-Man 229 to 230. It's the famous nothing can stop the juggernaut. We all know the juggernaut. He's an X-Men villain, first debuting in X-Men number 12. And, you know, we're going to do a whole episode on this story in the future. So I won't go too deep into it. I mean, Will and Kevin, Mark and I have been very kind of like forthright this is one of our favorite Spider-Man stories. Right, we're right with you. This we, we covered this in our podcast. We took a break from our Ditko issues to cover this as one of the all-time great non-Ditko Spider-Man stories. Total standout, a complete thrill, still holds up, really exciting. It's an amazing two-part story. Kevin, am I right on this? Well, it just feels like if Fool Killer was the one uh, to <laughs> the city, uh, there'd be more of a connection with Peter, you know? I shall walk through any building that houses a fool. No, it's, uh, the Juggernaut story is great. Uh, it's it's near perfect. Uh, it's so fun to read. It's beautiful. It is exciting. It, it stands out. It's also like, uh, I don't know how many Juggernaut stories there had really been uh, at this time. So he's... He's still such a new character. He's not quite Hulk strong, but it is it, like the next best thing to having like Spider-Man have to try to stop the Hulk. It's the juggernaut. It's so cool. So out of his league and it's such a fun story. And it, the best 
the best superhero stories are always don't give up for all the characters, right? We always love to see the character who you should give up and you just don't. That's why you win. And this is a great, great, great example of that. Here's my question about it, though. What if the juggernaut was the rhino? If we're talking about other people's villains, if you sub in the rhino, does this elevate the character of the rhino in a way that he probably long needed at this time? Like, what do we think? Would it lose something by being the rhino? Is there an unknown element that makes the juggernaut special within the pages of this? I, I do think there is some fun in the story that Spider-Man doesn't know what he's up against. Yeah. Like he is throwing everything at this guy going, this should stop him. Uh, and it doesn't. And he's like, oh my goodness, it doesn't. And it would lose a little bit something if it was just like, oh, the rhino is stronger than he used to be. Uh, if, if that's all, like if the rhino just got like a power upgrade, I do think like the rhino should be stronger uh, in a sense. I mean, I, I'm crazy in the sense that there's a part of me that would love if Spider-Man was in a self-contained universe where rhino was one of the strongest people in the world, but he's not, he's not close to it. I think it wouldn't be quite as fun if it was like, oh, it's this guy again, this dummy again. Yeah, I think Juggernaut elevates it. That's a great question. Rhino would be pretty close, but the main thing Juggernaut has over Rhino is emotional temperament. Like Rhino is an out of control rampager, right? He's like an angry, you know, bull in a China shop. And Juggernaut is more just like, and Juggernaut's very angry, but he's that slow, slow and steady, wins the race kind of just like so powerful that he's not even nervous about it. Yeah. So he doesn't like the, the, pay the Spider-Man any to, mind. Right. Yeah. He's like, like so the rhino's personality wouldn't quite have the same dynamic. I don't think like juggernaut is walking through buildings because he can't be bothered to walk around them. It's not, it's not out <laughs> of like anger of being trapped in a suit. So uh, juggernaut's a better fit emotionally, e even if, the rhino's powers could affect a lot of the same situations. That's what I think. Yeah. There's something very fun about this story that for like almost, uh, almost the entire first issue, he doesn't even care that Spider-Man is trying to stop him. They're also the second issue is the real payoff. Like you guys will get into this when you go over it in more detail, but this reminds me of Wait, some there's of the a second Dicko issue. There's a second issue. Isn't there? Yeah, I got it. I got to read it. Oh yeah. You, <laughs> you're missing a lot. Um, <laughs> I feel like there was a couple of times when Ditko would have a whole issue of setup and then the next issue would be all fighting, like paying off. And this kind of reminds me of that. I mean, the juggernaut is beginning to walk through things in the first issue, but the second issue is where Spidey really doubles down and says, I'm going to stop him no matter what. Right. Well, it's so also he's lost. Right. In the first issue, Spider-Man loses the, uh, the uh, Madam Web has been pulled out of her machines and, and is near near death. And he could just let the juggernaut leave. Now the juggernaut is no longer a threat and Spider-Man won't let him go. Yeah. Love it. I mean, for me, I mean, this going back to your question, Dan, I mean, like it's also worth noting that like juggernaut as a, as the villain has always been associated with fighting the X-Men, which is a team. And I think like, even like in the, in the text itself, Spider-Man is like, Oh, man, the X-Men are out of town. The Avengers can't be found right now. It's just up to me. And I think like, you know, you can't say that with the Rhino or you can't say that with I mean, heck, you can't even really say that with the Hulk with Spider-Man because Spider-Man has had those experiences already one on one with these characters, whereas with the Juggernaut, he's he's never had to deal with a character like this one-on-one, -on -one, especially a character that has really only fought teens before, like, you know? So to me, like, that's what elevates it. It's like, you know, that's that's what pushes us to this next level of like the, the don't give up, the don't quit, because it's like, 
you know, not only is Spider-Man like punching above his his weight here, it's like he's just by himself where, you know, you know, rather than having any kind of backup whatsoever. So that's, uh, you know, I mean, we, we all know what I think about this story. I mean, I got put on the spot by Tom Brevoort and I said, uh, nothing can stop the juggernauts, my favorite. <laughs> so I got I, I have to now be like married to that opinion for the rest of my life. And, <laughs> and I'm OK with that. <laughs> I, I will say the whole like him fighting it as one dude and not a team is almost immediately undercut at the end of this run when Spider-Man defeats the X-Men single-handedly in the Secret Wars crossover. Well, uh, know that then. <laughs> yeah, right, 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 right. You know, I, I did want to mention there are, you know, several other times where Spider-Man has fought X-Men villains, but it's very, like, sparingly. He actually probably fights the X-Men more than he fights their their villains. But <laughs> I can think of a few, like there's the 327 where he fights Magneto, and I believe he fights Magneto again in, like, the late 90s. I'm not sure the particular issue there's like spider-man against the tri-sentinel which i guess is kind of x-men related you know he fought, he, he's he's fought him a few times he fought he saber Sabretooth too yeah saber tooth against with a i think it's a peter david spectacular issue from yeah, around this era yeah. too yeah so i just wanted to kind of bring bring those up so okay juggernaut we're all on board we all love that story and think he's a, a good fight and i think you guys made good points for why it should have been the juggernaut the next all right, story. So, so let me let, let me just put this up, put the board up there, Dan. All right, if, all right. If we're, if we're ranking other people's bad guys, it's Juggernaut followed closely behind by Fool Killer right now. Right? <laughs> I guess right I mean, now if they're the only two. Then yes, he's closely behind. <laughs> all right, fair. Just a, fair, just fair, fair fractions of a point separating them. All right, let's Mark. I want you to be married to that opinion for the rest of time <laughs> because uh, I think I think you're not going to live. Some might call you a fool. And uh, then ha- proclaim you to be killed. I want you to oh become a big fool killer cosplayer. I want you to go full on cosplay for the fool killer. I don't know if I have the pirate guard, but we'll, we'll make That's this That's going to have to be a Patreon goal if I ever heard oh, one. No. Um, you know, Mark still owes some of our patrons a dance video. So, um, you know, we, we, we will we'll hold you to that, Mark. So next up, we've got Amazing Spider-Man 231 and 232. These villains, I think not only in this story are a team, but kind of throughout a lot of their appearances, that's Cobra and Mr. Hyde. Boy, you know, it's like spaghetti and meatballs. Mark, tell us a little bit about these two characters, Cobra and Mr. Hyde. Cobra, he's more of a, I guess you would consider him like Thor, Captain America villain. His first appearance was in Journey into Mystery number 98. So that would would put him uh, in the Thor sector. His shtick is basically like he... He can slither around. <laughs> I mean, it's, uh, how would you describe his powers, Dan? I mean, it's kind of a little weird, right? <laughs> I, I think that's fair. It's one of those characters I would love to see in like live action in motion because I just can't imagine it. My, Ooh, my, that guy is slippery. <laughs> yeah, like slide, <laughs> yeah. My favorite thing about him is that like he got his powers because he was jealous of a professor who was doing research on a universal antitoxin to snake venom. So in order to get revenge on this guy who he was jealous of, he decided that he would allow a cobra to bite both himself and the professor and then use the antitoxin to save himself. But little did he know that the snake that bit him was irradiated at the time. And so the unique combination of that radioactivity and this antitoxin gave him cobra powers, you know, science. And that's how he got there. This is like the spider bite, but like 
several steps removed. I don't know how far I need to go to like buy into, just give him powers. It doesn't need to be this complicated. It's a weird pairing, Cobra and Hyde. The fact that they are commonly paired together seems like like they just randomly drew each other in like a three-legged race competition <laughs> or something. Like I don't understand why they're friends or why they work together. I do think Cobra is interesting visually. His power, I can't believe he's a Thor villain. He seems like Thor would destroy him. Yeah, he makes sense with Captain America. The few times they face off, like and like I could see that kind of the way that uh, Backtrack was used in in Winter Soldier. Like, you know, in a future movie. I mean, I know we're not going to see Steve Rogers, but like kind of Cobra just being used as like opening opening film fodder for Captain America. Like, I could see that happening, and that could be pretty cool visually. I mean, he's a good villain for Spider Man. Spider Man sticks to things, and Cobra slips around. I mean, that's like the irresistible force (laughs) and the immovable object. Like, um, Cobra's also like a planner, right? He's like a smart guy, heist, you know. That he's the evil villain with the blueprint out on the desk and like all the steps calculated, as opposed to Mr. Hyde, who is like rampaging anger. That that's it. Just shouldn't it be like Cobra and Boa Constrictor or Jekyll and Hyde? <laughs> like the, the pairing is a snake and uh, a classic horror novel. <laughs> it doesn't. It's so random. Here my comes guess Mr. Clocks and the Wolfman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, my guess is it's literally because Mr. Hyde appeared in the issue after him in Journey into Mystery ninety nine, and so because they were like right next to each other and <laughs> teamed up in that issue, they've been like forever linked. Although, it's although like, exp- I'll be like explicit. met in a rap party. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah, I think I think in in this case it, it, it's interesting because they explicitly hate each other in, in, in this story. And so you're seeing this weird relationship start to fracture in, in, in some way. Although my favorite character in these stories is the nose Norton, which <laughs> just like is like an inch away from becoming anti-Semitic. Like you can just feel <laughs> that it's like there in the page somewhere. Can we talk about Mr. Hyde a little bit? Yeah, or, go ahead. Uh, yeah. I mean, to me, uh, okay. I mean, like, he's no fool killer, but like, to me, this is like, <laughs> like, 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 <laughs> no, I mean, in all seriousness, like, like, I have a soft spot for Mr. Hyde. I think Mr. Hyde's a pretty cool villain. And of course, like, I, you know, if you were reading other Stern stuff that he was doing at this time, you know, uh, Hyde featured prominently in the Under Siege storyline, which to me is like probably peak Avengers, at least for that era. It wasn't the threat level quite of juggernaut although i'm i'm I'm, okay so this was right after juggernaut i'm like i always get confused there's even a little bit where they tease that the juggernaut has gotten free because they show hide and shadows and it's like yeah they like do a weird thing where they like cut to the the concrete and then later on they cut to like the shadowy giant figure storming off and it's like did the juggernaut get out and it's yeah it's this guy it's it's (laughs) another guy who could beat the living crap out of spider-man but that's the thing I, i i i like Spider-Man going up against these like behemoth, super strong above his pay pay weight villains. And and I think Hyde is a good one. I mean, I actually feel like the presence of Cobra, even though like they're kind of, you know, it's in that typical Spider-Man fashion. He's trying to protect the Cobra from Hyde killing him. But at the same token, Cobra is no good either. So he can't, you know, it's Spider-Man can't win for losing. But I, I like the threat that Hyde presents in these issues. I I, I, I like that in, in as a Spider-Man villain. I also kind of like Hyde. I don't know why. Maybe it's just because he the way he dresses, <laughs> like because he's just another <laughs> strong guy. There's there's no shortage of his ilk. 
but he's been in a lot of fun stories. I mentioned that Daredevil story I enjoyed. He was fun in uh, Jeff Parker's Thunderbolt run. Uh, he's had like a couple of stretches where it's just like this guy shows up and, and he was great and under siege, like Mark said. It's like Hyde. I don't know. He's been in a lot of good stories. At a certain point, he gets some credit for that. Somebody should make I a short story why. based on him. Did Kirby design the original look? He looks like a Kirby guy to me, but uh, he also it, it, looks like a 1970s guy to me. Just like the, he's got 1970s hair, got the big oversized jacket. I can picture him in a turtleneck and some chains. To me, he's a real 1970s style strongman. He's Journey to Mystery 99. That sounds like Kirby. Yeah, that would he be looks Kirby. Like a, you know, he looks like a big old Kirby brute, you know, like almost like a New Gods style Kirby. But um, I... He's got a cool look. I, I don't know. Sometimes that's enough to make somebody compelling in comics, you know, a great I, costume or whatever. I do think sometimes you can, I get tired of Spider-Man just fighting guys who are strong like that. There was a stretch where he's just fighting a bunch of strong guys. Yeah. So maybe the addition of Cobra does help in that sense. It, it at, uh, even though the pairing makes no sense to me and never will, it gives like a, a twist or an angle to the story that it wouldn't otherwise have. It'd just be another strong dude. But yeah, I kind of I kind of dug this two-parter. I kind of liked Cobra, even though I don't quite get his powers any more than Dan did. But I like Hyde. I don't know. It, this this maybe is my uh, fool killer soft spot. I like this pairing. I, there's a number of elements I like about the, these books. I think the cover for 232 is really great with Hyde just kind of bursting out of uh of his jekyll persona I, I think that's really cool looking and then there's like a there's like a certain element of comedy around cobra where spider-man uses him as like a projectile to throw <laughs> at, at hide and get stuck to hide and then at the end where like cobra tries to get away and really he just wants to get away from hide so he surrenders himself to the police and he's like please <laughs> take me in like i gotta get away from this guy and i always love that element of how the story ends there's a great there's a great drawing in uh, page 18 of the second issue of this, uh, the bottom right corner where Spidey has sprained his ankle and he's facing off against Hyde. And he's like, man, I got to finish this guy off quick. And then there's just like a profile three quarter shot of Hyde's head screaming big, wide open mouth. And the words, I'll kill you, not in a speech balloon, just the words, almost like a sound effect are coming out of Hyde's mouth. It looks like a record cover or something. Uh, it's really it's kind of fun. That is cool. That is cool. All right. So uh, let's update our rankings here. Uh, I think Juggernaut still sits at the top. Do we place yeah. Cobra and Hyde as a team above Fool Killer? I think we all know where Mark, uh, how Mark feels, which is Fool Killer still a close second. <laughs> no, uh, I, I, mean, I was actually going to say I would do Juggernaut, Hyde, Fool Killer, Cobra. <laughs> you can't All right, up Hyde and I'll, Cobra. I'll allow it. <laughs> Will and Kevin, where do you guys sit? I put them both above Fool Killer. Oh, yeah. We're going to do the boring, sensible yeah. ranking. Juggernaut first, <laughs> Cobra, Hyde second, Fool Killer. Nose, Nose Norton third. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to take this rare opportunity to disagree with Mark and 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 side with you guys again. Mark, this is a, this is a, a rough day for you. Okay, okay. Well, we, I, I got a few more villains ahead of me where <laughs> I can make this up, okay? I'm, I'm feeling confident. How dare you slight our friend Cobra like this? Um, <laughs> all right. Well, you know, in the meantime, let's take a break and talk about the slack. Yeah, hundreds of listeners like you hanging out in our community of Spider-Man fans on Slack. The amazing Spider-Slack community is absolutely free to join. You can jump into active conversations with awesome people about collecting, conventions, movies, new comics, old comics, and more. 
I'm there all the time, probably too often. And just this week, we've been discussing all of our theories about Spider-Man Beyond and the end of the Spencer run. It's pretty hot in conversation there. People talking about Black Widow, just an exciting place to hang out. I know, Kevin, you hang out in the Slack all the time. How's your experience been there? I do, I enjoy it. Uh, It's the only place where I can uh, claim that Kindred is uh, is actually secretly the uh, coffee bean and people will know what I'm talking about. So (laughs) when you can make a reference like that to some people, that's a fun place to be. I don't even know what that means right now. I don't know either. (laughs) He, the coffee shop has become a supervillain. <laughs> that's, that's about deep. as plausible as any other theory. <laughs> so so we'll, we'll take it. So yeah, if you guys want to join this awesome Spider-Man community with me and Kevin and Mark, if I can ever twist his arm long enough. Just I go follow- on like every three months. <laughs> All right, that's fair. So uh, just follow the link in the description and be sure to say hi. And we'd love to know what you guys thought about this episode. I'm sure uh, Kevin would love to have the plaudits, uh, uh, you know, yeah. uh, fr- from appearing on the show in I need it. I'm having a rough week, so come on, give me some praise. Yeah, good, good. I I like to hear that. Um, And come in there and trash the fool killer with us. Uh, I I, I think we'd all like to hear that because it's it's a mark-free zone for the most part, so you won't get much pushback. Oh, that's what a fool believes, Dan. Okay, all right. Okay, this is really terrifying for me. Okay, so let's get back to to the main part of the show. All right. Well, this next character, there's going to be fisticuffs here if we get too much fighting about this ca- this story, right, Dan? Come on. You were you we were texting about this earlier, Dan, and you were like, "Oh yeah, that's great." So I don't want to hear a different story now that we're all on the air here. And that is Amazing Spider-Man 237, which involved the Stilt Man, of course, of Daredevil fame. He first appeared in Daredevil number eight. Generally, the Stilt Man has been depicted in the Marvel Universe as a complete joke and a loser, you know, kind of like the proto boomerang. Right, Dan? I mean, you know, like this is this is the 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 original lame villain. What I like about this story is, again, this is kind of like Spider-Man and his his lame luck coming home to roost here, where, you know, the the basically Stiltman picks a fight here because you know, he's he's on a losing streak, which he's always on. But he feels he, he he reminisces about a time where he feels he defeated Spider-Man. And he's like, I'm going to pick a fight with, with Spider-Man because that's how I'm going to get my winning streak back. And over the course of battle, Spider-Man actually has to sacrifice himself from like a it's kind of like a sonic blast of sorts to save the stilt man. And stilt man's kind of like looking at the prone Spider-Man body and it's like, do I finish him off? And he's like, no, I, I can't. But, I, you know, he still wants to take the credit of the victory anyway. And to me, like, that's like quintessential Spider-Man there. It's it's Spider-Man who is just doing the right thing, even though if the, the shoe was on the other foot, the character, of course, would not do the same for him. And the fact that it's like a character as lowly as Stiltman to me elevates it further in terms of the absurdity, yet the the kind of familiarity of, only this could happen to Spider-Man. So have at it. Tell me, tell me why Stiltman sucks and why we shouldn't be talking about a Stiltman story in any kind of reverential way here. Mark, I think you're right on the money. Yay! I love this issue. I like Stilt- Stiltman is a joke, but I'm endeared to him because he's a joke in the universe. I kind of root for him. I like that he stubbornly will only use stilts as his power. He won't like <laughs> adapt his technology to something else like, I, I don't know, anything else like some kind of maybe 
just a propellant system that can launch him in the air and make him do big leaps. No, it's big stilts. He's 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 he sticks to his guns. And I also agree the ending of the story where Spidey, you know, does an act of mercy and that moves Stiltman into also acting good. That is quintessential great power, great responsibility right there. So I think Roger Stern found a, a way to make Stiltman a good metaphor for a, you know, for a prime Spidey emotional tone. I think this is the second best villain we've had so far. Kevin, I Dan? think that is insane. His power, his power is that he is tall, right? long legs. Uh, I do. I like the ending. I like the idea that Spider-Man sacrifices himself. So still man doesn't kill Spider-Man like Stilt man who was all about all ready to ready to kill Spider-Man doesn't do it. That's a nice moment in a story that is half recap of the Stilt man exploits that I never cared to know. And this story recaps all of them. So you many mean, adventures that Stiltman has. And then it powers him up. So like recaps, like, recaps, or sells you on it. Then that part for sure did not happen. Then it like powers him up, which I I don't like when characters are depowered. So I like I'm all I'm all for Stiltman getting powered up. But I guess his power up is that his armor is a little better. I don't quite understand why he's more powerful. This version of Stiltman, he's just tall. That's it. <laughs> why? That's like Stiltman without legs. Damn, before I got, I'm sorry, I got to jump in here, Kevin. You don't get it. It's not just that he's tall. It's you you said what your favorite thing about heroes is when they don't give up. Stiltman doesn't give up. <laughs> Stiltman comes back with the stilts. He gets defeated. He's back with the stilts. He gets knocked down. He gets up again. He is Chumbawamba. He is the you know, he could stop the juggernaut. He would just keep getting bigger and bigger stilts until he was finally able to knock juggernaut into a pile of goo and he would win. You know, I'd I think rather- I rather I'd rather watch Spider-Man deal with Cobra slithering down chimneys hundred <laughs> times over before I watch Stiltman step over Spider-Man, I guess would be what he would do. I don't know. It, it, it's not for me. Stiltman versus Galactus. That's my that's my pitch. I don't know why he's not like crutch man. Like, just take the stilts off your legs and put them on your arms and you've got this punching force from a distance. You know? <laughs> like, I, I feel like that's an easy swap to make your powers a million times more. Useful. It would make him more like Machine Man. Check I guess we're going to talk about Machine Man. <laughs> I, I really like this story too. I do agree that the the story itself is a is a little too heavy on the recapping and a little low on the stilt manny like uh, present action. But I I think Boomerang is probably the perfect comparison because I think this story kind of does like almost the entire arc that we've gotten with Boomerang in the past decade in kind of like a single issue. You know, I, I like the shift in protagonist, like really Stiltman is kind of the main character here. He's the one that kind of has the transformation. And I think it's kind of a good prototype for so many of these stories that we would see, you know, in, in the future. Even I'm even thinking in like the Batman universe where we got like the war of jokes and riddles and where where it was like about Kite Man, you know, being the real hero of that story. Uh, I, I, I like any story like this. And I think this is kind of the prototypical version of that in the Spider-Man mythos. Is it a perfect story? No, but I think the ending is really sold and really works. It, it's just like, it's enough. I don't need like a whole ton of stilt manny content. He's a pushover, maybe literally. 
And <laughs> so I, I, I'm I'm willing to go with it uh, for the nice little moral tale told at the end there. Um, I, I, I like the story. I can't believe I'm alone in thinking Stiltman is not a good villain. <laughs> Final <laughs> pitch for you, Kevin. How about the splash page? Stiltman and his civvies all thin and emaciated, you know, looking like the ultimate underdog, casting aside the newspaper, angry. That's a great splash. That's a splash page of resentment. That's the opening of a kitchen sink play from the 1950s. That's a drama <laughs> of, a, of, a, of an, of an American. You know, this is death of a salesman. Death of a stilt man. Yeah. Map the story onto the enforcers. And I love it. But uh, <laughs> Take away the power of stilts. And I'm more interested in these characters, this character a million times over. That's a callback to our podcast where I'm constantly pitching the enforcers as a TV show. I mean, I, I love, I genuinely love the enforcers. I genuinely yeah. don't get stilt, man. <laughs> what if, what if the comic started with like a stilt, like stomping down under a pirate's hat, and you just know that uh, <laughs> stilt man had taken down fool. There, killer. there lies the fool killer. <laughs> that See, might put fool killer on some stilts. Now maybe he's got a little. A little <laughs> These fools and they're short. I see them all from up top. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So let, let's update our ranking. So uh, 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 I can't believe we're doing this. Will, you said this is number two for you. Number two, Juggernaut, Stiltman, Cobra, and Hyde, and then uh, Fool Killer. Kevin, you, you you're, this is your moment. Like, where do you put Stiltman with in comparison to Fool Killer? Juggernaut, Hyde, Cobra, Stiltman, Fool Killer. <laughs> All right, Mark. How about you? I, I am. I'm. I'm with Will. I'm putting Stiltman for this story number two. Then uh, Hyde, <laughs> full, full killer, killer cobra. cobra. <laughs> All right, and um, I'm echoing Will on this. I, I've I've got uh, Juggernaut, Stiltman, oh Hyde, Cobra, <laughs> Fool Killer. If I was Hyde, I would I would track you guys down. <laughs> I will kill you. <laughs> If you were Cobra, you'd be sliding all over us. He'd be, he'd be under your couch right now, Will. You wouldn't even notice. He could, could slip right <laughs> under there. All right. So next up, we've got uh, Mad Thinker and his battle droid. This is Amazing Spider-Man 252. The Mad Thinker uh, appearing in Fantastic Four number 15 for the first time. He's primarily a Fantastic Four villain, though I will say this isn't his first battle with Spider-Man. And my favorite thing about the Mad Thinker is that, like, Nobody really knows who this guy is or where he comes from. It's it's just the kind of pretentious background someone declaring themselves the mad thinker would have. You know, like, oh, I'm all mystery and I'm thoughtful. Like, great. <laughs> yeah, I don't even know where to start with this one. Dan, why don't you walk why don't you walk us through more Mad Thinker? <laughs> yeah, so Mad Thinker, he's he is he is like a perfect, like, you know. Thinker, if you will, he 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 can game out every scenario and get ahead of everybody. And he's just so smart that he ga he doesn't have any special power. He can just I don't know he's like Rube Goldberg man. You know he knows <laughs> how, exactly how this complicated series of implausible things are going to play out just through the calculations in his mind. And so in in this uh, installment, he has installed a cybernetic link in his brain that's allowed him to, from jail, project his mind into the mechanical constructs, an android, in this case, his battle droid. And he <laughs> decides, well, I've heard about Spider-Man and this guy seems to have like a sixth sense. I'm going to test it out 
with this battle droid so that I can work that into my future plans. You know, it's kind of complicated, the events that transpire. Spider-Man ultimately confuses the android, sending it into generators that destroy it, and then it blows up spectacularly. My favorite part of this is that the Mad Thinker has now confirmed Spider-Sense and he promptly never uses that information again. Like, we never hear from this guy again. <laughs> He's been sitting on this information for 50 years, or whatever, 40 years. It's the end of the Mad Thinker. What do you guys think about the Mad Thinker and his battle droid? I, I want to like the Mad Thinker because I do love that era of FF villains. I love the wizard. I love the wingless wizard and his anti-gravity discs. But Are you a big Thinker's, Puppet Master fan? I do. I like the Puppet Master. He's creepy. But the Mad Thinker seems like his main power is just timing, right? Like he's the guy who's like, the FF are going to show up in 38 seconds. And yes, there's a 97% a- chance that Spider-Man will swing by this <laughs> building at this time. I'm like, that's yeah. such a weird yeah. way to show intellect. A lot of Kirby and Lee villains, as Kevin and I noticed when we did our 101 issues of Lee Kirby FF, a lot of Lee Kirby villains established their dominance by precision timing. But I do like the idea of because in the FF stories, he would lose because he would he would figure out the odds of everything and know he's going to win. But then he would always not take some factor. He's like, oh, I didn't think the mailman would show up like there's an X factor, uh, which seems like then you're not that good a planner. But that fits mm-hmm. better with Spider-Man to me, like Spider-Man is a sort of character who defies prediction like he's going to beat you in a way that you he never did that before well how could i ever know he would do that it fits spider-man's character better i so i think the mad thinker is a better fit for spider-man than for the ff but the, the timing of the, his timing skills it's it's like it's the stilts of watches i don't know it doesn't do much for me see i i feel completely the opposite with mad thinker i feel like he works in the in the realm of Fantastic Four because, I mean, you have a character like Reed Richards who's so about like logic and reason and following, you know, following through his his thesis. I think the thinker can can work as a as a reasonable counter to that, which was, as you pointed out with Spider-Man, it's the opposite. It's it's he's unpredictable. So what you know, how can the thinker actively plan against spider-man why would he even want to bother to screw in that universe so to speak so like i see that as like he would be like it would be it would it would would aggravate him and drive him crazy like he would want to understand spider-man he's like i'm so smart there's got to be a way to know what spider-man is going to do and he'd become obsessed with spider-man i'm now reading into a story that is not necessarily told (laughs) Uh, i think he's a good fit in that sense like i don't know uh just like a less smart reed richards is going to lose to reed richards i think dan Uh, mentioned the big flaw with the mad thinkers we don't know what this guy's story is like what makes marvel characters work is that they're more than their powers and their costume they have some emotional context or temperament that makes them you know human and relatable you know, Tony Stark is more interesting than Iron Man. Peter Parker is more interesting than Spider-Man. That's the secret of the Marvel Universe. <laughs> mad thinker, he's mad and he thinks, and that is all we got. So, and that that, that is a flaw in any story with him, I think. Uh, that also, and if you can project your mind into things, there's got to be a better application than projecting your mind into these droids who kind of have like one ability, you know, like, Project your mind into like read and take, you know, or something like that, or, you know, superior Spider-Man, somebody take out, take over like Ultron, you know, if you can get into these things, I don't know. He's committing crimes from prison. Well, 
That's the perfect alibi. You can't catch a guy who's in prison already. I feel like the lack of backstory on this character, like I've always felt like he'd almost be better just being a robot. Like in my mind, when I read this story, I think this should probably be a living brain story because we, we're, we're already projecting this guy's brain into a robot and it's all about calculation. You know, I, I don't think living brain has quite the kind of like he's, his reputation has been built up over the past years by Dan Slott. But like this, this reads to me like a living brain story. It's, it's a robot that's trying to read Spider-Man in some way. And, and you're right, the lack of backstory behind the mad thinker, he might as well be a robot already. And so there's that already that disconnect that he is like living in another body. So this story feels very like weirdly observational to me. And I just can't get caught up in it very much because there's no stakes for the bad guy. He's just kind of like sending a drone at Spider-Man. And that works in the story with like the spider slayers because Jonah is an active member of Spider-Man's supporting cast in a way that mad thinker, I, I, again, like I said, he never returns with this information. And so it just feels to me, it's like, okay, that's just kind of a throwaway story. I enjoy it, but it's nothing I really think about in the same way as I do the stilt man story or something like that. All kidding aside, like I know like you all, you all started this by saying the full killer story is the big miss of this run. Like to me, this is the big miss of this run. Like I, I, I don't quite get what mad thinkers doing here. It, 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 you know, like you said, like things get introduced that they get that then get promptly dropped. I, I, I don't, to me, like this is a, this is like when I'm binging on the Stern run, I, I, this tends to be the issue. I kind of just speed through because I'm like, eh, I don't, I don't, I, it doesn't do it for me. Like this doesn't scratch an itch. And, and so, you know, that's I all. See, something that could improve it for me is if after Mad Thinker figures out that Spidey has a spider sense and his android is defeated, we see what his next science project is, you know? And now to find out what does Iron Man eat for lunch and then <laughs> <laughs> sits down, like then I'd be a little more hooked. <laughs> Three martinis. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, this story, I mean, it's uh, Spider-Man versus Robot is never that interesting. So as a story, it's not that great. I think the Mad Thinker is a more interesting character to me than Stiltman or Fool Killer. The story is not as good as Stiltman. Say and, it. Uh, I, don't, <laughs> I said, rather read the, the Mad Thinker story than read the word fool 45 ah, times in one story. No. Uh, it just didn't say fool so much. I can get by the costume. I can get by everything else about it. It's just the word fools. I've said it so much in this podcast, it's driving me nuts. Neither the <laughs> fool killer or the Mad Thinker has anywhere close the emotional depth of Stiltman. <laughs> Stiltman and his ongoing resentment is I relate to him more and more the more we talk about it. I, I think I think we're going to see Will in stilts uh, of increasing height over the next few weeks. So stilt man, well, well, not stilt man, mad thinker. What what do we think about this character? Where does he fall on on the list for everybody? I go juggernaut, stilt man, Cobra and Hyde, fool killer, mad thinker, and android. That's how I do it. Although those last two are pretty close. Not <laughs> <laughs> that much. Uh, I'm slotting. I'm slotting Matt Thinker in just above Fool Killer. <laughs> but, uh, sadly, underneath Stiltman, though I think the Matt Thinker could have beaten him in a, with a better story. And I'm going to go Juggernaut, Stiltman, Hyde, Fool Killer, Cobra, 
Matt Thinker, Android. <laughs> and I'm siding with Will again. I, I actually, Mark, I'm giving you some points here. I'm putting <laughs> Mad Thinker below Fool Killer. You know, we'll have a little parade for you later. But let's <laughs> let's end it with our final other people's villain. That is Thunderball, Amazing Spider-Man 247 to 248. The story often forgotten because it's, <laughs> it's happens like, to be paired with the kid who collects Spider-Man. I was going to say, is Thunderball what killed the kid who collects? Because I, I, I always forget that he's in this comic. Yeah, <laughs> to be like right. if uh, Mind of the Married Man was you know played before the Sopranos pilot on HBO or something like that. <laughs> Don from um, Cincinnati. No, sorry. yeah, there you go. The first appearance of Thunderball was in Defenders number seventeen. He's kind of primarily an Avengers villain, although he bounces around places you know he was he had a different name he was the wrecker part of the wrecking crew for a while he was known as the black bruce banner which i went anytime you're calling somebody the black something i think you're you're leaning into trouble you're leaning into trouble or maybe falling into trouble but his whole thing was that he got some credit because he was able to invent a miniature gamma ray bomb which great i don't know what the practical use of that is but fair on top of that, he has a magical crowbar, which, if you didn't know, it's kind of like Captain Planet. When held aloft with the <laughs> members of the wrecking crew, he can trigger lightning to strike, which gives them all their powers. Technically, the wrecker's crowbar, I believe. And he's not the wrecker? He was the wrecker at the time. Wait, he was the wrecker? But there's another guy who's the wrecker. I think there's another guy who becomes the wrecker, but he was the primary wrecker. Okay. Would eventually I've never read the original on- stories. But there's a guy who carries the crowbar normally. See, this is why I'm team absorbing man. Okay, so confusion. (laughs) So he would eventually take on the name Thunderball when he took on the uh, wrecking ball as a weapon. So he like updated from the crowbar to the to Thunderball. Although in this story, he has both. So he's a double threat. He's got his magic crowbar and he's got his wrecking ball. So he's doubly powered. Just to shortcut the story, it's a this is a big fight story between characters. Spidey eventually steals the crowbar, and there's like a fight that ensues, although he still has the power of the crowbar. You know, Spider-Man wins with his intellect by connecting a circuit from an electron electrical transformer and exploding Thunderball and depowering him for a moment. And my my kind of quick summary of this is this feels like a rehash of nothing can stop the juggernaut. It's like kind of stern dipping back into that well of the unstoppable force meets the immovable object. How does Spider-Man defeat somebody who vastly outpowers him? There's some fun stuff. I think they're are they on Staten Island in, in this story? Or is it Long Island? Long Island, I think. I think it's Long Island. Mark, you're probably like screaming at me about this in that you live I, on I Long Island. I mean, it's Island. Long Island, but Long Island is, I mean, I, I live on Long Island, but I live in a town on Long Island. And, you know, so it always bothers me when people are like, Long Island, like, it's like, it's not a city. It's not a, it's, it's just a massive landmass with many municipalities on it but anyway i i digress anyway so yeah that's thunderball i think spider-man has fought him a few times over the years but this is kind of his big brouhaha with him in a, one issue what do you guys think of the thunderball issue is it as i said just merely a rehash of nothing can stop the juggernaut i, I think you're right but it's still pretty fun like it's a, it's a short clean fight the art is really good in this i think 
Mm. Uh, there's something really compelling about the art. It's sort of clean and sharp. I mean, I've enjoyed the art in all of these issues, but this one, this one stood out to me. It's kind of like nothing special, but a good little battle. It's also short. I think it's okay. F- forgettable, but fine. Serviceable might be what I would say it is. It's not like Mad Thinker, which was kind of a dud. This is like a good car chase. I've seen a million car chases, but a good car chase is still all right. I mean, if the complaint is just that he's fighting someone that overpowers him, it's like, good. I don't, I don't want to watch Spider-Man constantly fight guys that he is way more powerful than. He should be usually fighting people that are uh, so that he doesn't need to have a cold or a broken leg every time he fights somebody. It's nice that he can fight somebody that is uh, outpowers him. I think Thunderball looks cool. I like yeah. the Wrecking Crew in general. I think they just, despite the fact that they're fighting with crowbars and, and balls and chains, like uh, they look cool. They have nice visual elements. It, it doesn't play into the story, but I like the idea that also that this is like the smart guy from the Wrecking Crew. Like the Wrecking Crew are a bunch <laughs> of thugs. And for some reason, there's like one scientist in the group. That's very interesting to me. I haven't read enough of their stories to see how well that gets played up. But I, I like his visual. I like that Spider-Man has to figure out Oh, this, you know, the crowbar is a source of his power. I'll take it away. It's like, man, it doesn't matter if I'm holding it. If it's, if it's near him, he still has his power. I also like that Spider-Man sort of stumbles on this guy. He's not looking for this guy, right? In this story, he is trying to catch the hobgoblin. Yeah. Yeah. And he tracks, yeah. And he, while trying to track the hobgoblin, he stumbles onto a super strong other guy. He's like, oh, man, I didn't, I didn't need to get involved in this at all. I didn't even know. I, I wish I was ignorant of this fight, but now I got to fight him. I think that that's always fun too. There's something cool there. It's, it's bad for both of them. They'd both be happier if this storyline had not happened. Now, so Thunderbolt, I, I dig it. I dig it. Now is Thunderball another one of the characters that was part of Zemo's crew for uh, Under Siege? I'm trying to I remember. I think the whole Wrecking Crew was. I believe. Yeah, I, I was going to say, I know some of the others from Wrecking Crew. I didn't know if he was left Before, out for some reason. It's hard Mark yeah. and Dan give their take on this. Can Who can name, without looking it up, all members of the Wrecking Crew? Oh, God. There's four. Uh, I, my, say, maybe. There's the uh, Wrecker. There's what rep? Yeah. Thunderball, uh, the Absorbing Man. No, Absorbing uh, Man's not one of them. He's, he's not, not a Wrecking one of, Crew? Oh, no, he I'm just sorry. hangs out with him because he also has a ball and chain during Secret <laughs> Wars. <laughs> my bad, my bad. Uh, there's Pile Driver, right? That's <gasps> correct. And there's one more. You um, got Pile Driver, Thunderball, Wrecker, and... Uh, there's the guy with like the metal head. <laughs> oh, man. He's named after a construction vehicle. Yeah. Is it uh, Dozer? A little bit bulldozer? longer Is that. it Bulldozer? Bulldozer. It's Bulldozer. There you go. Man. Bulldozer, pile driver, Thunderball, and Wrecker. Now, which mostly, one is which Beetle? I see Wrecker as being a Paul, Thunderball, is John. I mostly know that because we re- reread Secret Wars so recently. Otherwise, yeah, and the Wrecking Crew are in there. Yeah, they're like a big part of that story. <laughs> they're like the the muscle for the yeah. Building. They're like yeah. Doctor Doom is the most important, followed closely by the Wrecking Crew. They get a yeah. lot of screen time in that story. It's like we kill Kang in the first issue, but the Wrecking Crew, they're in it <laughs> all the way. <laughs> Mark, what do you think about this story, Thunderball? Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. It feels like a rehash. I mean, like, I, I, I also feel like, I mean, like, and, and you know, this is kind of an unfair judgment, but I mean, we, we, we joked about this earlier, but like, it's very hard to give this story its proper analysis when the fact of the matter is when you when you read this issue, you're not reading for the rec- for the story, for the Thunderball story. You read it for the kid who collects. Like, it's like, I mean, like, to this day, I mean, I've read, I've read this story. I would say less than five times. I've read the Kitty Collects like two dozen times in my last in my lifetime, yeah. you know I mean? or, or probably more. So it's like when you when you when you're, yeah. you yeah kind of get stacked up against 
literally one of the greatest comic, not just the greatest Spider-Man story, one of the greatest comic book stories of all time that so happens to be co-opted in this other story. I, I, you know, it's 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 kind of hard to like look at this in a meaningful way. It just feels like, you know, like just kind of filler to get to the main event. I know, of course, Kid Eclectus was supposed to be the B story, but that's just not how history has presented it. So like to me, like it's not a miss because I don't think it's poorly done, but it's easy to forget this story given where where it kind of falls historically in it yeah i think that is a tough thing though to come like to say it's not as good as the kid who collects is a reason it's bad uh, no i know i don't say i don't think it's bad but it's it's like you know it's like i don't know yeah i also (laughs) like it just as sort of like a rest between hobgoblin issues like if the best parts Mm. of strange runner are hobgoblin stories and you took these out and just went from hobgoblin story to hobgoblin story that that arc is not as good. You get bored of it. Uh, there's something fun about like while he's waiting for the next hobgoblin thing to happen, Spider-Man has to deal with this guy. Uh, it's what's missing from modern comics because they're all sort of like building up to the next event and then huge story, huge story, build up to the next huge story. Uh, that like old comics in the '80s had these sort of like eh, two or three issues that are just sort of cases, like uh, just fill you know a villain of the week type stuff, and they don't need to be the best story ever to still be good and readable and fun and sort of necessary for the pacing of like the year of comics or whatever. And I think this serves that purpose really well. It is un- un- unfortunate that it's paired with a, 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 a classic, a, one of the top two or three Spider-Man stories ever. That's a rough place for any story to be like any of these others, except for maybe the juggernaut story would pale next to this even your guys precious Stiltman story if it was followed up with a b the b story being the kid no, who collects I you forget Stiltman. if Stiltman was in this issue nobody would even remember the kid who collects <laughs> the, pa- the pathos of Stiltman, you know this whiny kid uh we kid never collects, remember him. the kid who collects Stiltman. <laughs> <laughs> i think kevin you're 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 really right uh about this especially in terms of like the pacing of, of modern comics and and how this would you know fit in like the the joy of this one is it's a little more of a classic story. It reminds me almost of like the second issue of Amazing Spider-Man, which the, it became kind of the template, which is Spider-Man fights the guy, fails, and then comes back and has to outsmart him in some way. And in this case, it's using science to, you know, create this, you know, circuit, circuit, uh, circuit. I don't know why I was tripping over saying that, which in in my mind, like as much as I love nothing can stop the juggernaut, I think the circuit is kind of more clever than burying him in, in concrete in some way. He kind so, of looks into um, that too. What? The concrete, right? Doesn't he luck into the concrete? It's not like he had that plan. Yeah. I mean, that's a better story. I'm not gonna. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I think the Juggernaut's a better story. And I, uh, but I, but I like that about this is it does lean into that science element of Peter Parker. And I like, um, like, whereas the Juggernaut is kind of isolated, he's on this construction site and there's not other people around. This one kind of interacts with like, the highway and passersby that are getting caught up in this battle with Spider-Man. And I think that's kind of neat when you bring in bystanders and stuff. It, it is a like by the numbers Spider-Man story, but with great art. And you know, like you said, for the pacing of the run, I think, I think it's good. I, I, whenever I reread this, I'm surprised at how much I like it more than my memory allows me to remember it. Like I, I it, it, like Mark said, it's paired up with something that makes it completely forgettable in comparison but, you know, it, it is a solid story in its own right. And I, and I enjoy it for that. And then same realm of being other people's villains. Like what, what I enjoy about all of these is Spider-Man 
having to like figure out their deal. Like, uh, like that was the fun of those old Ditko issues too, right? It's like, it's like, oh, what's the vultures? How does the vulture fly? I got to figure that out. That's how I'll defeat him. Like, what's Doc Ock's thing? I got to figure out how to defeat him. Like, you lose that when you fight those guys for the tenth and twelfth and fifteenth time. And he, you can regain that here. He's like, okay, what well, this crowbar is important, or you know, the juggernaut. Oh, I, I'll just jump on his back and cover his eyes. That'll stop him. Nope, didn't work. Okay, what's next? That's the fun <laughs> of these stories. Oh, he grabs Cobra and Cobra slithers out of his hands. He's like, oh, okay, that that won't work. I got to figure something else out. Or Stilt Man stands up. I guess. Thank I don't you. Know, I don't Thank know. you. <laughs> Thank you. But I like watching Spider-Man heroically to- stands up. I like watching Spider-Man have to figure out with pathos, <laughs> uh, figure out what these guys' deal is. Like that's the fun of this for me. Uh, it's part of the fun of him fighting these other villains. Shout out to the old amazing Spider Talk episode where you guys interview Ron Friends. It's, if you are a fan of Kid Who Collects, it's an essential listen. <laughs> I say, I love it's, that. It's, I like that Mark wasn't on that one. That's really, uh, it really. <laughs> there was, was something reco- that was just reco- worked. I was recovering from my vaccine. Okay, uh-huh, I'm sure. Uh-huh. Uh, the interview was really great. Ron Friends was so friendly and nice, and had great recall of his decisions to draw certain things. I really loved that interview. So thanks for doing it, guys. Yeah, it's oh, tremendous. Even you, Mark. Thanks for letting it happen. <laughs> Not coming on and saying that kid who collects Spider-Man is not as good as Fool Killer and therefore you shouldn't cover it. And that's the kind of commentary that would have ruined that interview. Uh, (laughs) uh, Okay, guys, the time has come. People have been eagerly awaiting this thing we invented (laughs) mid-show. Our our rankings of these villains. So let's go through our typical order here, which is Will, Kevin, Mark, and me. Will, get us started. Stilt man at the top. No, no, no I'm only kidding. Juggernaut <laughs> at the top. Stilt man holds at number two. Then I'll put Thunderball just for the enjoyable story. Then I'm going to put Cobra and Hyde for the cool visuals. Then I'm going to put Fool Killer because he's got he's got style, even though he's insane. <laughs> and Mad Thinker and the Android bringing up the rear, the caboose of my list. I got everybody right. You got everybody. Kevin collect Spider-Man as a villain really low because he just doesn't pose any threat. You know, not, no, no comment on the quality of the story. Yeah. I mean, other wins. people's villain is that? Is he like, is he a reoccurring Cancer's villain. Spider-Man defeats him easily. <laughs> yeah, I go, I'm Juggernaut's number one. Hyde and Cobra for me are number two. I think Thunderball's my number three. Then Stiltman, Mad Thinker, and ending up with Fool Killer. And then Cancer. <laughs> all right i'm well, sorry I, that i started the joke of being <laughs> silly about that i apologize i'm ready to i'm ready to blow everybody's minds now um juggernaut stilt man hide <laughs> pool killer thunderball slash cobra <laughs> mad thinker okay and then i can see it i can see it <laughs> hey you put a, uh, you put a big Will defense Kevin, for, for a fool killer <laughs> Will and Kevin, what are your Sunday nights looking like? Because I feel like I'm going to be missing a, a, a podcasting partner after this. <laughs> I respect that, Mark, even if I vastly disagree with you. But I am going to be completely in concert here with, with Will and his choices again. It is going for me. Juggernaut, Stiltman, Thunderball, Cobra and Mr. Hyde, then Fool Killer, and then Mad Thinker is my final list. So and you guys really enjoyed that recap of Stiltman's exploits versus uh, he, Daredevil and Spider-Man. Great. 
some some listener at home can tabulate the points there and get back to us on who won what. We'll promptly ignore it and move on. I think this has been a fun discussion. Overall, I, I think these are fun issues, not like the highlight of Stern's run, but I do think it's a kind of nice little uh, spice tossed in there. Give us something new. And I, I dare say they work. Uh, rest, rest in peace, Denny O'Neill. They do work better than all of the villains. Danny O'Neill brought in during his run, even if they aren't Spidey's primary foes. I feel bad getting a Denny O'Neill dig in there. Did Denny O'Neill uh, do the ringer or was that Roger Stern? That is also Roger Stern. I like I liked the ringer. I put ringer high in my list. Yeah, the ringer, the ringer is great. That might have um, just been John Burns art uh, elevating that story and it looked cool. <laughs> it, it's a cool story. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna back it. To to that point, to the point of backing it, uh, if you find this show entertaining and valuable, please consider supporting us. Recommend amazing spider talk to a friend, and if you're able, become a member on the Patreon. Yeah, we can only bring you this content with the support of our Patreon members, and we owe the show's success to every single one of them. We are constantly making exclusive content for our members. This week, Patreon members will hear Dan and my review of Amazing Spider-Man number 70. That's right. I'm not sick with COVID vaccine. I'm here to review Amazing Spider-Man number 70 with you, Dan. And we're talking the start of Sinister War in, in that issue, or I guess the prelude to it. Everything is either a prelude or a postscript to these stories these days. Alpha or Omega. Yeah, there's, there's nothing else. You're either a story or you're the before and after of a story. So why not take that $3.99, the price of a new comic, and put it towards a month subscription to support the show and start receiving our Patreon content. That way you'll hear our Patreon exclusive review podcast on every new issue of Amazing Spider-Man the same week it comes out instead of waiting for it to arrive in our public podcast feed. Yeah, if you contribute $10 a month, you gain access to exclusive artwork from famous Spider-Man artists commissioned exclusively for our members. Uh, this season, we'll be mailing out a print of Spider-Man fighting Dr. Octopus as his friends look on, drawn by official Marvel artist Federico Vincentini in color and inks. Plus, every episode, we release a new episode-specific desktop background created for us by artist Nick Cagnetti for our patrons to enjoy. And, and I'll tell you, I'm literally sending out the Federico Vincentini print this week. I've already sent out half of them. Now, the next one that we're going to be doing is a Ron Friends print, a missing page of Kid Who Collects Spider-Man, where Ron has drawn basically page 7B of that story where the kid and Spidey look through the, uh, Tim's collection of comics and have a good laugh about it. It's a really special commission that I think our members are going to really enjoy. Uh, you know, you'll have your own page of Kid Who Collects that nobody else has seen. It's kind of apocryphal, but Ron agreed to do it, so we're going with it. Yeah, that's gonna be really exciting. But we do know that this is a hard time for everybody, as it is for us too, so we appreciate anyone who supports the show just by listening and sharing. But if you do have the means, please join our Patreon to support the continued existence of our show. Just follow the link in the description. And again, a thank you to all the members who already make this show possible. But alas, Dan, it's that time. It's time for me to be in the minority of an opinion for the first time on this show, <laughs> because we have three other people who drown me out. 
it's okay. No, it's also time for us to say goodbye to you, the listeners and viewers, for tuning into this episode of the Amazing Spider Talk. Well, thank you again to uh, Kevin and Will Hines uh, for coming on the show, guys. It was really fun to have you on. Yeah, thanks for having us. So it's what a treat. Oh, my goodness. Yes, we're very honored and excited. But thank you for asking. Well, so tell us again where we can like listen to your podcast, a little bit about it, get people to jump on board. I will say before you do so, I don't listen to any comics podcast really, but I listen to your podcast. You guys are uh, very self-effacing, you know, you're like, <laughs> yeah. oh, we're not really a, co- a serious comics podcast. I won't agree with that entirely, but what I enjoy about your show is you guys have a gr- great banter between the two of you and you make it fun to, to listen, even if I've exhausted the conversation on superior Spider-Man and in my own thing, it's been fun to revisit that and also see it from like a more comical lens. And that's what I love about your show. And so I, I would encourage people to listen to it, but enough, you know, don't take my word for it. What do you guys have to say about your show? Well, people thank you so again. much. It's an incredibly sweet endorsement. So thank you. Yeah, our podcast is Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics. Kevin and I are actual brothers, sort of comedians, and we talk about comics that we we mostly have loved our whole lives, although now we're getting into maybe newer stuff that one or both of us haven't read so much. But we just apply our brother friendship to analyze the comic. And um, right now we're doing Superior Spider-Man, and we're also doing a lot of early Claremont mutants stories because a big blind spot in me and Kevin's reading histories we had never read the early claremont x-men which we feel dumb about so we're making our amends reading them and of course we are completely blown away by how great those stories are so i mean we're idiots it's like oh that star wars is a fun movie (laughs) so if you you know if you want to hear us be amazed by early claremont x-men or hear us be thrilled by the superior spider-man check it out yeah we've had hot takes like uh batman year one is good (laughs) <laughs> and that uh, the original Spider-Man run is a classic. Those are sort of the hot takes we, we come in with. Wow. You do have hot takes. Kevin has hot takes. Kevin gets hot sure, takes. Sure, sure. I don't know about that. Not like but Mark I, hot takes, but they're, they're, they're at least warm hot takes. It's <laughs> not like Mark where he's saying the chameleon is the greatest villain in Spider-Man history or something like that. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> he is the first villain in Spider-Man history. Yeah. I'll give him that. We we have the benefit of the covering what we want to cover. So we generally are covering stuff we like. Uh, so it's a very positive podcast. It's a very silly podcast. We we kind of love stuff warts and all. Like even when we're covering uh, uh, bad the weird issues, issues of, of FF. FF. Yeah, it's it's fun and bad at the same time. And we can see both sides of them. So we hope that comes across in our podcast. We're going to be doing uh, Dark Knight Returns in the near future, right, Will? Yeah. We're, oh, God, so excited. I mean, just one of the absolute best superhero stories of all time and something that Kevin and I were thrilled to read as it came out. And yeah. every single time we've reread it since, I can't wait to go over Dark Knight Returns. And we'll probably um, be doing a season of guests. Uh, our season for us is like six episodes or whatever. Yeah. So we'll see when uh, that comes we, out. We do have some incredible guests coming up for that season. So we're very, mm-hmm. we'll probably love to have you guys on if you guys ever have time, Dan and Mark. So we'll, we're going to have to we'll try to schedule people. it. We'll schedule it around your vaccine schedules. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that say. sounds like a great time. I mean, look, there's no better book to be silly about than The Dark Knight Returns. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, yeah, it's, it's, so it's a great book, but it's, it's also outrageous. weird. It's, it's weird. outrageous. I yeah. was gonna say you you could talk about the Dark Knight Returns, or you can come on and defend the Fool Killer. I tell you, <laughs> what's, what's your best way to spend 
an hour and change of your time. Okay. That's all I got to say. I mean, no one else is doing that fool killer argument. There's a lot of people who are talking about how good Dark Knight Returns is. So you you are you are doing a job that has not yet been done. I have to say, this is why people tune in, right? <laughs> we we could be getting thousands of downloads for reviewing Black Widow, but no, we're we're giving you that fool killer content you're, you're, you're dying to get. Thanks again, guys, for, for coming on. You know, I've wanted to have you guys on for a while, and uh, I'm glad we could make it happen. And I hope we can do this again soon. Maybe you'll have to come back for the next Bad Guys episode, and uh, we'll keep this list growing uh, <laughs> and see how Stilt long Man will stay at number get. two. Yeah, oh, there my goodness. Is. Stilt Man, always number two. Thanks again, everybody. And um, this episode, as always, was edited by Rick Coast with production support from Andy Myers. Our artwork comes handcrafted by artists Ron Friends, Sal Buscema, Ray Sumzer, and Nick Cagnetti. And our Woo. theme songs were produced by Ryland Bojack and Spider Madge. Plus, our introduction animation and musical stinger comes from Josh Sutton from the YouTube show Panels to Pixels. This was a lot of fun, Dan. You know, what, what do we got coming up the next time around we, we are on this show that we call Amazing Spider Talk? Well, Mark, we kind of uh, teased it uh, already. We're going to be covering your favorite Spider-Man story and nothing can stop the juggernaut. But really, we're going to be talking about how that story created a new kind of like story type for Spider-Man stories going forward, that kind of unbeatable foe or that incredibly overpowered enemy for Spider-Man to fight. We're going to be talking about the stories that exist in that realm and how this kind of became a staple of the genre or the, the character of Spider-Man, the unbeatable foe where Spider-Man somehow becomes the victor in some way or other. Mark, I'm excited about to get into this with you as we, we grow our list of stories to talk about. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun, especially when we talk about him overcoming the odds and taking down that pirate connect, uh, character. So yeah, <laughs> just a lot of pirate characters. So if, if you're tuning in live, don't forget, as soon as the show ends, the conversation continues with our audience on YouTube. And if you missed out on Amazing Spider Talk live this time, we'll be back soon on YouTube. So go there and subscribe and click on the bell to stay on top of all the new live recordings that we'll be doing in the future. But as always, this will remain a podcast first and foremost that will always remain consistent just like how we end the show and that's with our motto so mark until you start slithering around in your basement in a leotard what's our motto that motto of course is with great podcasts there must also come the amazing spider talk don't, don't miss the next installment You fool. <laughs> <laughs>